Welcome to Mission Joy, a podcast from the Episcopal Diocese of Western North Carolina. Tune in and join the mission to share and spread joy. Welcome to Mission Joy, a podcast of the Episcopal Diocese of Western North Carolina. My name is Virginia Taylor, and I'm the missioner for communications here in the diocese. And I'm so excited to be joined today by two special guests. The first and foremost, our very own Reverend Anna Shine. Hey, everyone. I'm Anna Shine. I am campus minister at Appalachian State University and also the Missioner for Creation Care and Social Justice at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Boone, North Carolina. Awesome. And second, we are joined by a special guest today and are so excited to introduce her to the diocese. So we are joined by the new director of the Creation Care Alliance, Sarah Ogletree. Sarah, can I have you introduce yourself? Tell us a little about you, what you do, what brought you here? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, just hello, everyone. It's wonderful to be with you. Um, A little bit about me and what brought me here. I grew up in Western North Carolina. I grew up um, in Silva, for those of you that might be listening over in Jackson County. Um, And I think that that's honestly what led me in a lot of ways to the work of environmental ministry, which is what I do as the director of the Creation Care Alliance of Western North Carolina. Uh, Growing up in a deeply beautiful place, as you all know, here in Western North Carolina does something to you. It it shapes you. It shapes your spirituality. And as a little kid, you know, I as reliably found God on a mountain as I did in church, if not more reliably. Um, I I really connected with the fullness of of God and and the Holy Spirit um, outside and in our rivers and in our forests. And so I think that that sort of seeded this work within me. And it's part of how I got here to be in front of you um, today. But um, a little bit more to that story is that, you know, I I did, I found God in creation and I I had this environmental um, desire to care for this world because of that connection. But when I was in college, um, I went to Appalachian State University. I, yeah, yeah, (laughs) my friend in June, um, I went to Appalachian State and I took a class in sustainable development. And that class um, taught by Dr. Jen Westerman completely reshaped my orientation to the world. Um, I, I, you know, I knew I loved this world. I knew that I found God here, but I had no idea how threatened um, our natural world was or how threatened people were um, by our climate crisis and by environmental injustice. So you know, I had always heard about climate change as this thing that was going to happen 100 years from now. Um, and I didn't realize just the significance of this moment currently and the fact that people, you know, I, I graduated from college, you know, more than five years ago. And um, when I was in college, I, I just didn't know. I didn't know that until I took that class that there were people right now who were dying as a result of climate change and who are being forced to, to leave their homes. Um, I also didn't know until my college education that it was marginalized people, you know, black and brown people and indigenous people who are bearing the brunt of environmental disaster. Um, and so very quickly, this became an issue of faith for me. Um, you know, I grew up in church and the emphases of my church upbringing were to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and also Matthew 25, love for the least of these. And clearly I just saw this connection, you know, why, why and how, why, why aren't we talking more about this in congregations? Um, and how do we do that? How do we begin to, to connect our faith more? 
um, to this work of creation care, which is work of loving neighbor um, and preserving these spaces that connect us to God. So that that led me to divinity school at Wake Forest, um, where I got a concentration in, rel- in religious leadership and ecology. Mm-hmm. Um, it led me actually to an internship with the Creation Care Alliance, where I'm now serving as director, which is a really fun full circle thing. Um, and it also led me to work um, in my previous position with North Carolina Interfaith Power and Light. So I've been really, really um, lucky and blessed um, to get to do this work with so many amazing people. And um, and I'm grateful to be with you to talk more about it. Well, we're so grateful that you're here and excited and just ready to also have that conversation with you. Um, like you said, just having these conversations is a start. Um, and bringing that into ministry more. So now that we've gotten to know you a little bit, for those listening who might not be familiar, can you tell me a little bit about the Creation Care Alliance, what it does, where y'all are located, kind of what you can do? Yeah, absolutely. So the Creation Care Alliance is the faith-based program of Mountain True, which is a regional nonprofit um, focusing on environmental issues in Western North Carolina. Um, The Creation Care Alliance office being within the office of Mountain True is located in Asheville, but we are regional and we exist within um, and throughout Western North Carolina. Um, So our mission is to serve people of faith and people of spirituality, congregations, lay leaders and clergy in the work of creation care, helping them um, walk this path of loving people and place of coming to know their human and non-human neighbors um, as God's creation um, and and doing this work, this work that we're called to. So we do that in a variety of ways. Um, We offer worship resources. Um, I offer preaching and presenting. We offer various resources for energy efficiency or renewable energy. That's that's one of the paths that, you know, congregations might want as they engage in this work of creation care. Resources around food justice, around how we how we grow our food, how we care for each other in those ways, how we care for land, um, habitat creation, um, conservation, all kinds of good things. Um, and in addition to, like I said worship resources, but theology and how we work this in, you know, to our daily kind of lives as, as people of faith. Um, so I am someone who's available to congregations as the director of the Creation Care Alliance to help them think about their next steps um, towards sustainability, towards this work, what makes sense for them. Um, I'm available for those conversations. And then we really are a network of people across the region. So we have um, member congregations. You can become a member of the Creation Care Alliance through a covenant partnership. Um, we have member congregations throughout our regions. We, we host gatherings with those people um, and we wanna support um, people of faith in doing this work. So I'm curious, just first and foremost, you mentioned that a lot of your education around creation care and what was really happening in the world began in college. And I know, Anna, you work a lot with college students in that age group specifically. Do you find that that is still something that is really heavy on their hearts? Mm. Um. Yeah, I mean, I I can't say that every student has it heavy on their hearts, but Mm -hmm. I definitely have noticed within the Appalachian State um, community of students um, with Appalachian State being kind of a hub and a space where a lot of 
sustainability oriented people come because of their program in sustainable development and sustainable technology technologies and building mm-hmm. um, that there is quite an emphasis on the climate crisis. Um, yeah. Also more so seeing students that are dealing with the anxieties and the grief that come along with this climate crisis um, mm. and being young and having passion and also having anxiety and stress as a result. Um, so dealing with the tension of being passionate, wanting to care for the earth, wanting to do what they can to take care of the planet and the people on the planet, and yet also at times feeling powerless in the face of it. Um, and that's, that's a really hard tension to hold. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It is. It is a really hard tension to hold, Anna, and I. Um, I think it's important to talk about that. So you know, when I when I give you my my kind of introductory spiel, I give you the highlights, right? Just like the happy parts and the the parts that make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, a fuller version of that story is that when I was a student of sustainable development, I was incredibly depressed. I was, you know, every single day going into classes, um, learning about just how bad things were. Mm-hmm. And also learning that a lot of the solutions or the responses that we knew about as a society also came with problems. You know, nothing was easy. It was all very complicated, very gray. Um, and that was a hard thing to carry. It was a hard thing to carry as someone who wants to make a difference. And mm-hmm. this is a huge problem, you know, with so many layers and, and complexities. Um, and I can remember asking one of my beloved professors who I care so much for and I'm so grateful for in my life um, where the hope was one day. I just said, you know, you've been in a lot of classes and this is really bad. And I know you know this. It's like really bad. So, you know, where's the hope? And what she said to me was, you're the hope. Mm. And I thought, oh, no, <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm one person. I, I have a lot of issues. I'm a flawed human. You know, if, if, if I'm the hope, then we're out of luck. Um, and so that, though it was meant to be empowering, I think we often do this to young people. You know, we say your generation is the generation of hope. You're going to fix this. Mm. Um, and it was, it was just burdensome. So Mm -hmm. though it was, you know, meant with a lot of love, it, it didn't really help me, but what did help me, um, was when I kind of came to the realization that though it was my faith that brought me to this work and my faith that made me care about this work, I hadn't fully integrated my faith in the work. Yeah. I was, um, I was going to class and I was doing that thing and I was doing it because I am a person of faith who wants to love my neighbor and care for this world that God loves, but I wasn't talking about it in my faith community um, quite yet. And I wasn't talking about it in class um, from a place of faith or from a place of spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I started kind of merging those worlds a little bit, I, I found a lot of hope. Um, I think because, you know, faith communities have a rich legacy of social change in our world. And I I know that, you know, I studied the civil rights movement and movements for change, and I've seen the ways that faith communities can be a voice mm-hmm. um, for real, real change locally as well as systemically. Um, and also just the community that faith brings um, and the support um, that faith communities can bring to these moments, which are full of grief and, and you know, moments of unknowing or despair. 
being able to acknowledge that together um, mm-hmm. with other people and kind of hold each other's hands through that um, as we do the work, I think is really vital. And the movement, you know, needs needs people of faith, I think, for that reason. Um, and people of faith need the movement because it's the work that we're called to. So that really is how I how I found my hope was bringing my faith into the work. But I know it's 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 a challenge and it's it's a day in, day out thing. I, I really empathize with the folks you're talking about, Anna. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Sarah. Well, and I, I also going back to what you said about kind of the burden, I think I think yeah. we do that a lot of times to our young people. A uh, common phrase that's used in the church is the children are the future. And yeah. the problem with that statement, which I'm not the first person to name this, is the children are not the future. They're already fully baptized. They're yeah. already fully members of the body of Christ. They're the now. Yeah. They're the present, just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. And by placing the future as a burden upon them, that can sometimes limit the ability to flourish in that. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it's it's meant to be a space of empowerment, but it sometimes can be crippling um, with the anxiety that that pressure can place upon younger people. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think, I think a lot about that. And then the fact that what's going on with this climate crisis is actually literally impacting whether or not we will have a future. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when you say, well, you are the future, but previous generations, the actions that have been done have limited your capacity to live into your own future, Mm -hmm. um, have made certain decisions around the way you want to live your life more complex, more ethically and morally problematic, um, such as having children um, and or not having children Mm -hmm. um, or the level of comfort that you live your life. Um, when, when we grow up in, especially specifically within the context of the United States. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that can be a really, really heavy burden. And, and I do think that for me, especially faith has been the place where, um, I've found a space for consolation. I've found a space for grace and I found a space for hope as well. Um, And then I think the other thing about the world of academics and the university setting is that a lot of times when we're learning about these things, we're learning about them intellectually. And so it's more of a theoretical disembodied conversation that we have. Mm -hmm. And yet our bodies are experiencing the impacts of climate change, of the climate crisis every day. And the anxieties that we face very heavily impact our physical bodies. Um, And so having these conversations, it's so important. It's great to get the information, but there also has to be the space to process the grief and the anxiety that comes with it. And so I want to turn it back to you, Sarah, because I know that Creation Care Alliance does some of that work. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to see if you wouldn't mind speaking to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you're so right. It's we, we can kind of go into overload with all of this information. And it's very easy for me to fall into what I call and what I've heard others call analysis paralysis, just, <laughs> just when you kind of freeze up because there's so much happening. Um, so one of the ways that the Creation Care Alliance has strived to respond to what you're naming, Anna, which is 
you know, so common in activist circles and just in communities and, you know, with people who are, who are engaged and, and paying attention to the work of climate science or, or environmental justice issues, um, is by, we, we've created these grief groups. They're called eco grief groups. Um, and we facilitate these in seven weeks. Um, we have done them over Zoom and we have also had a couple of in-person, um, iterations of this class. And um, this is something that was created by my predecessor, Scott Hardin-Neary, and the CCA steering team, of which Reverend Anna Shine um, is a part of. So I <laughs> want to give her a shout out. Um, but this was created out of what Scott experienced in his role, um, which was, you know, running into a lot of people who were dealing with a lot of grief and a lot of anger and a lot of stress and anxiety around our ecological moment and feeling like they didn't have a place to talk about that. Um, and when we don't talk about it, um, we, we risk, you know, burning ourselves out. We risk um, falling into a deep despair um, and we do risk that analysis paralysis um, mm -hmm. because there's just too much in our minds. Um, so the grief groups were a way for people to come together and to share what they are struggling with in relation to our climate crisis and our environmental moment um, and to be validated. And, and the fact that that struggle matters, that their, their pain is real, um, I can't begin to say how powerful it was. I attended one of our um, symposiums before I was in this role. We offer symposiums in the winter, usually January or February for clergy and lay people. Um, and we discuss topics of creation care. And I attended one of our symposiums um, as a professional doing this work, you know, as someone I was leading a workshop, but I was also participating in the conversations. And the theologian who was our keynote speaker was Dr. Emily Askew from Lexington Theological Seminary. And she said that if you have anxiety, that's a sane response. Mm -hmm. If you have anger, that's a sane response. And it was so validating to me. And this was before the eco grief groups had begun. This was, you know, a few months before they kind of began to take shape. And I just, I didn't realize how much I needed to hear that, that my, my struggle in this work, um, my lack of daily hope, the kind of hope that feels like optimism, I have a deeper hope that stays with me, but that kind of optimistic, we can do this feeling is not always here um, because I'm a person mm -hmm. and it's hard and it's a struggle. Um, and hearing that, you know, anger is valid, Sadness is valid. Anxiety is valid. It all makes sense that you're having those feelings just meant so much to me mm -hmm. um, as someone who was charged with leading other people and finding their hope. I needed to hear that, you know, these other feelings mattered um, and these other feelings served a purpose. Um, so the grief groups have been a great gift to me. I've participated in two of them and helped to lead two of them as well. Um, and we will continue to offer those. Um, and I, you know, I do think I'll also say, I think that this kind of work is so important. Um, and the grief circles, um, aren't only ecological, they, you know, we really did also name the ways that social issues intersect with ecological issues. And, um, during the pandemic, our grief circles during the height of the pandemic, let me say, I know that we are still in it. Um, but in 2020, our grief circles talked about racism. You know, we talked about um, loneliness from isolation 
And we talked about wildfires and climate and, and localized environmental issues as well. Um, so we, we want to create space for naming those intersections as well. Um, but the, the last thing I wanted to say about this is, is I think part of the reason that these spaces are so important that I haven't named yet is I think it's really easy in activism and in particularly as climate activists um, to kind of get stuck in a rat race mentality. Um, you know, we there's urgency and there it, there is urgency. I and mean, we know that we we have a lot to do in 10 years. Um, and that's a scary thing to think about. But sometimes I think what that leads us to is neglecting ourselves and saying, you know, we'll sleep when we fix this. We'll rest when we fix this. We'll feel when we fix this. Like, I don't have time for a breakdown. I don't have time um, to grieve. I don't have time to spend with my friends or to take a nap or whatever it might be. However, you need to care for yourselves. And ultimately, what that leads us to is, is burnout and despair and, you know, an inability to actually contribute to this movement, um, as well as activism that isn't rooted, you know, mm -hmm. activism that is just kind of throwing something at the wall and seeing what sticks instead of moving a little bit more slowly and more intentionally and, and processing um, the fear and the pain and the grief of this moment. Um, I think a lot of activists, myself included in the past, you know, have spent a lot of time trying to outrun our feelings. Um, and that doesn't help us love the world. It just numbs us out. So however we can open our hearts um, is really important. And I think grief helps us do that. Um, and in opening our hearts to grief, we open our hearts to love. So I think it's really important in our activism. Mm -hmm. Sarah, you spoke a little bit, and I noticed this too, when you were just introducing your history with creation care and learning about environmental justice in general, but a lot of the correlations between environmental justice and racial justice mm -hmm. or building beloved community. Um, one thing we're working really hard to do within our diocese of so the diocese of Western North Carolina is just really examining how dismantling racism, becoming beloved community is really at play in every single ministry. Yes, and yeah. I think it, it really is deeply tied into the work of creation care. Um, yeah. And I'd love to kind of hear more of your thoughts on that. Since you mentioned that was something a lot of people talked about at eco grief circles. That was something you really noted when you were learning about this work. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts about how creation care and beloved community go hand in hand. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think too often we define creation care in a way that excludes people. You know, and people exist as a part of creation. And so when we talk about creation care, we're talking about the fullness of how we care for each other, um, how we care for the fullness of our ecosystem, human and non-human. Um, and so just by that definition, we know that this is going to be social and ecological. Mm -hmm. um, but, but creation care and racism and, you know, being anti-racist are connected in lots of ways. One of them is the fact that black and brown folks and indigenous folks um, are on the front lines of the impacts of environmental issues, environmental disaster and, and climate chaos. Um, that's true for lots of reasons. Uh, it's true, you know, again, intersections, right? So mm -hmm. because of systemic racism, because of the way that our society has structured um, the world and, and systemic racism has structured the world. We know that black and brown folks are in neighborhoods that are most likely to be sacrificed 
by toxic industry, um, by pollution. We know that those are the communities where landfills tend to be placed. And that is an intentional placement. Uh, you know, it's criminal in a lot of ways, you know, the, the ways that these industries are placed within communities. Um, it's, it's a, it's a sacrificing of people. Um, and it's, it's often black and brown folks and it's also people in poverty. Mm-hmm. So these are the people who are always, um, you know, getting the, the brunt, the brunt, bearing the brunt of pollution, um, and also of storms and of the fallout, um, of, of these different kinds of climate impacts, partially because these populations due to systemic racism and due to, you know, class constraints are less able to move, less able to relocate, um, less able to, you know, get an additional loan to start up their business again when it, um, is destroyed by a flood. These are all pieces of this. Um, and then I also would add that particularly around indigenous um, connections to environmental justice, you know, we have to think about the ways in which indigenous people have been moved off their land. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is a piece of this. Um, And then how reservations have often been, you know, used again as industrial dumps Um, in the Western part of our country various reservations of indigenous people are places where we house our nuclear waste, you know? So this is a, a significant problem in, in regards to, you know, how we value people. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really, really upsetting. I mean, and, and I used the word criminal earlier, but I really would say that it's sinful. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's really a sinful way to interact um, and to structure society. So that's a piece of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, I think, you know, we we see it very clearly in some examples, like you said, with um, mm-hmm. reservations and nuclear waste. We see it in yeah. Standing Rock with the building of the pipeline mm-hmm. through um, native lands and burial grounds, especially um, the disrespect towards what is considered sacred by other traditions. Yeah. Um, we see it with water quality in Flint, Michigan, mm-hmm. um, which is still struggling. Yeah. Um, and we see it in places like uh, New Orleans with Hurricane Katrina mm-hmm. and, and things that happened afterwards as a result of that. Um, we see it with the wildfires in the West yeah. as well. And so um the one of the other things that I think about in light of the climate crisis and um, increasingly stronger and more severe weather patterns that happen, like yeah. fire, like hurricanes, like droughts, um, I I also know that we're seeing an increase of numbers of refugees as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wonder, are there ways that Creation Care Alliance addresses that or thinks about that? And um, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to hear a little more about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you're so right that one of the impacts that certainly makes this an issue of faith, you know, makes, um, makes addressing climate change and environmental issues an issue of faith is the fact that climate change is a force that's causing people to have to migrate. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we're charged with welcoming the stranger. Mm 
um, and with bringing people into our communities and welcoming them well, loving them well. Um, so I think one of the ways in which the Creation Care Alliance has strived to to bring this up, really, I think one of the ways that we've we've done this um, has really just been to help congregations have this on their minds. You know, migration is happening. Um, Western North Carolina is a lovely place to be. And we're, in terms of climate change, set up pretty well. We have a lot of fresh water. We, at a higher elevation, are going to be less impacted by rising temperatures. We're, we're a relatively resilient um, ecosystem. And so because of that, we will receive many people um, mm -hmm. who are in need of a safe place to be. Um, and as people of faith, something we can begin to think about now is how we will welcome those people um, and how we will love them. So um, I think that we and others like my friend and colleague, Avery Davis Lamb at the Creation Justice Ministries, um, think about this in terms of climate hospitality. Mm -hmm. That is Avery's phrase, which is, you know, how do we welcome people and how do we as people of faith and congregations think about um, climate change as an issue of welcome? Mm -hmm. um, in addition to many other issues or, you know, many other framings, but one of the framings is welcome. So Avery, um, who is brilliant, and I absolutely encourage everyone listening to look up Creation Justice Ministries. They're a beautiful partner organization that can help you in this work. Um, but he talks a lot about how, you know, if, you, if your congregation is going through a renovation, something you can do is put in an extra bathroom and a shower and think about, you know, where there might be a place where if there was a family in your neighborhood that needed a place to stay, you could house them. Thinking about that as you renovate. Um, so congregations that, that are going through renovation processes, that's something you can think about in addition to LED lights and the possibility of solar and all of these other kinds of, you know, creation care type questions that, that go into a building renovation. Um, that's also true for individuals. So as we are looking at our homes and thinking about, you know, oh, I'd really like to fix the upstairs guest room or something, you know, how might, how might that serve as a place where you could provide um, a safe haven to people who are in need? And, and what is the work that needs to be done physically in our homes and in our buildings, but also in our hearts to prepare us for that? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what conversations do we need to be having with each other to, um, to support each other in that kind of work? And what conversations we need to be having with our families um, just to, yeah, to, to help us kind of, um, I guess, prepare, prepare the soil of our hearts for that work that, that needs to happen. And I know you've done some creation care work with your congregation at St. Luke's and with your students. Um, and I, I'd love to hear a little bit about what you're doing, too, within this diocese and close by up in Boone, kind of in relation to all of this creation care work. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm still relatively new. I've been doing this. Uh, I've been a campus minister now for just a little over a year at App State. Um, so started in the middle of a pandemic, which I highly recommend to everyone. <laughs> that is sarcasm for those of you who can't see my face. Um, yeah, I I am very lucky in that uh, Appalachian State University is... Um, a campus that has a lot of creation centered and minded people, uh, at least within the student population and the faculty population. Um, and 
It's also in the center of Boone, which has quite a number of people who are involved in organizations in work that lines up, maybe not specifically in creation care, but social justice issues, issues that are um, very much in line with what creation care does. Um, And so I've been excited because that means I get to work with a lot of people who are addressing different issues that um, deal with creation care, things like food insecurity um, and food justice issues, uh, learning about food sovereignty and what does that mean and food apartheid. Mm -hmm. Um, So as part of the work, learning different language for it and also learning the ways it intersects with um, racial reconciliation work, yeah. kind of like Sarah talked about, um, mm-hmm. the language we use around this movement also matters. Um, and so it's been a lot of education, um, for me, um, and also working with others. St. Luke's Episcopal church has the Mary Boyer, uh, community garden, uh, where we grow food organically and all of the food goes to local people, either people from the church itself, anyone who walks by and picks produce from there can just take it and go. So we have students that sometimes come by and pick fresh produce. Uh, We also donate to the local um, homeless shelter called the Hospitality House. And then we also donate the food to the Farm Cafe, which stands for Feeding All Regardless of Means. Um, working in that garden has been a complete joy for me. I am someone who benefits from getting my hands dirty in the soil. And I firmly believe that feeling the soil is an act of spiritual healing. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that's one of my spiritual practices is actually not wearing gloves and putting my hands in the soil and allowing the soil to heal me, to work through me because what we often forget is that healthy soil has a lot of living organisms in it. Actually, yeah. uh, I believe it's a teaspoon of soil, of healthy soil, has more living microorganisms in it than there are people on the planet. Yep. And so when, when you think in terms of ministry, if you convert, for those of you who are in congregations, in churches, if you convert the land that your church sits on into healthy soil, think of the evangelism you're doing (laughs) Mm. Mm. Uh, because you are bringing a lot of creation into the kingdom. A lot Um, of life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So much life. And that life is healing you at the same time. When you grow food in healthy soil, that impacts Mm. the microbiome that exists within your gut. And so we are so much more deeply connected with creation than we often are aware of. And so for me, it's interesting because Sarah mentioned that a lot of times in environmental spaces, we can forget the human element. And for me, what I've found is a lot of times in church spaces, we can forget the creation element. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. trying to find that balance, because at least specifically within the Episcopal church, when we look at our liturgies, and I am a lover of liturgy, <laughs> big fan. But when we look at these liturgies, they're centered around humans. You know, the, the whole liturgy is based upon the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ, who is both man and God. 
but human oriented. And so our prayers are centered around the human being. Our liturgical calendar is centered around the life cycle of a human being Mm -hmm. who is also God. And in doing that, we lost sight of the seasonal and agricultural calendar that came from our ancestors mm-hmm. in, in our religious tradition. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, we've divorced ourselves from breathing with and cycling with creation, even though life, death, and resurrection is a part of creation. When we think of it constantly in the context of a human life, you can become divorced from other life cycles. Absolutely. Specifically the ones that are creation centered. And so for me, I've really tried to focus on bringing us back to that connection, to that bond with creation that we have. Um, And so for me, that often looks like turning to scripture Mm -hmm. because scripture is so important for me. Um, And, and one of the things that I think about, you know, coming back to kind of the eco grief circles that, that we talked about towards the beginning Joanna Macy talks mm. about the importance of feeling the despair yeah. of, of feeling. We have to feel and move through those feelings of the anxiety, of the despair, of the depression, of the anger. Mm-hmm. If we don't, then we get into paralysis. Often the anxiety is that if we allow ourselves to feel, then we won't be able to move forward. But it's the holding ourselves back from feeling that actually traps us. Mm. And, and so I try to look at scripture to find the areas, the spaces where we can get examples of how do we do this work and how do we do it well? And in the midst of the climate of the pandemic, what I've noticed is how much trauma our scripture holds. Mm -hmm. Um, There's, it's deeply traumatic what we read in the Bible. Um, Yeah. And the powerful thing to me is the patterns I've noticed of trauma that is not addressed, of trauma that is experienced but not felt. And as a result, it's passed down. And yeah. we see this over and over again in the Bible. You can see it with Noah's story with the ark, which was a climate crisis mm-hmm. story. You know, you have ecological devastation, you have genocide, mass genocide of. Yeah. Of a species, of the human species. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's experienced this trauma. And, you know, we're taught this story as children uh, with these little sing songs. And it sounds all fun. You know, they took the animals two by two and then (laughs) came off three by three. But think about the pain, the trauma, the work it would take to take care of every single species of animal, Mm -hmm. bird, plant. Yeah. to keep them alive during a time of ecological devastation. And then Noah gets off of the ark, and we often end the story with the rainbow, with the, with the covenant, the, the, the bow that is placed in the sky, which is God hanging up God's weapon. Um, but what happens right after that is Noah gets drunk. Noah grows a vineyard and gets drunk, (laughs) right? And so that's a trauma response. That's a very common way of numbing yourself to the pain that you've experienced. Um, 
And and so and what happens is Noah doesn't deal with that pain and it gets passed on yeah. to his grandchildren for generations upon generations. And we see it throughout. That's just one example, but we see it throughout with slavery, with um, exile, yeah. with exodus um, and the constant need to somehow deal with trauma, but not deal with it. Yeah. Um, so that's a long-winded way of saying for, for me, what I look to are, are the places where I see the parallels that already exist within the Bible of what we're experiencing today. And there's a lot of hope in there as well, yeah. because we had just this past Sunday, for example, the story of manna in the wilderness mm -hmm. and God providing. And so one of the things I think about in trying to prepare for what it is that is happening to our planet right now as a person who is younger and who will experience the impacts of decisions that have been made before I could make them. Yeah. One of the things I think about is the mindset that I carry. Mm -hmm. If I carry a mindset of scarcity of, Oh no, what are we going to do? Our resources are going to run out our land is going to run out. People are going to come here. They're going to need things. If I think from a mindset of scarcity, that's going to breed fear and anxiety. Yeah. And when we breed fear and anxiety, then we tend to close off. Mm. We tend to protect ourselves. And the next step often is violence. Mm. And so for me, in my mind, as I try to prepare myself for the eventualities that we're facing, I try to look at the stories in the Bible that show me that it's not a mindset of scarcity that God often shows us. God shows us a mindset of abundance. We see it in the feeding of the thousands. Yeah. We see it in the manna experience. God will provide. There is already enough. And when I approach life from that mindset, then I'm less likely to cling to all of the things. I'm more likely to open my heart up and to say, welcome, come, mm -hmm. you have a place here, which brings us back to what you were talking about, Sarah, yeah. with the idea of climate hospitality, which I love, um, that, that thought. Um, and then the other thing that I've been thinking about is the ways in which we can learn from the creation that is around us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's the story of the blood of the earth crying out to God when Cain kills Abel. And when, when I think about some of the ways in which we as a society have divorced ourselves from the land, I wonder if part of it is because we're afraid to face the pain that the earth can show us of what we have done, not just to the earth, but to other human beings. When we think about the land that we live on um, as a person who is white, um, this is not the land I originate from. It is where right. I was born. Right. I was born in this country. Um, but my ancestors come from other lands. Um, and the land holds the knowledge of, of all of the trauma that happened to it, be it um, the people who died mm -hmm. on it, 
when it was conquered and colonized, be it the trees that held the bodies of slaves that ran away, Mm. those trees hold that memory. Um, Mm. So for me, I wonder if some of the divorcing from creation, at least specifically within the white community, is around the fact that we have to address the pain and the trauma that we have caused both to humanity and to the creation mm-hmm. um, that it's that it's on. And that's super depressing sounding, but it's also the work that we're called to do in truth mm-hmm. reconciliation kind yeah. of work. And that is work that is creation care in my mind. Yeah. I think I would, I think it's a really good point on something that I, I mean, you led us to many good points and I, I'm wandering in my thoughts of all the things um, that I would like to say, but um, something that I've thought a lot about in my own faith journey is, so I grew up um, in a Baptist church and I have spent a lot of time with a lot of different um, Christian denominations and kind of feel like I'm a pretty ecumenical person. Um, though my, my own tradition is I, I now identify with the Alliance of Baptists and United Church of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, but just in my own faith journey, one of the things that I've kind of run up against is what I feel like is a, it's kind of a fear of Christian, of, of Christians and of Christian theology to go deep with lament um, and to this, this sort of this, this aversion to the bad. You know, the, mm-hmm. the Christian story is the story of joy and hope and Easter and Easter can become the focus. And, and I get that, you know, resurrection. Yes, that is, that is, you know, the, the, the story, that's how the story um, is told and, and it rightly so. Um, but there's also Good Friday and there's Holy Saturday, this day of unknowing. Um, and I think the ways that, you know, to your point on a, around scripture, how we pull in scripture Christians, I think, have an opportunity and, and people of faith from other traditions as well to utilize ritual um, as a way, you know, ritual around the stations of the cross during Lent or, you know, this this time of mourning to help us process trauma. Um, because I do think that we haven't done that well. And, and we know that, you know, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of injustice, um, the ways that, that people who are impoverished um, and people who are Black um, and people who are migrants are treated um, is unholy and it is not of God. And so processing that in a way that is within the realm of our faith, I think, really helps us. Um, and and I, I think it helps us in the work of creation care. Um, I also wanted to name earlier when you were talking about food issues and the, the power of you know putting your hands in the soil um, I think that that's so true. It's one of the the clearest and most tangible ways, you know, for many of us to connect with creation is to go and plant food. Or if you're not a gardener, just to put your hands in the soil, um, put your hands in a creek, put your feet in a creek. That's a very accessible way to connect with creation and to experience that healing power. Um, mm-hmm. And it also made me think about another environmental justice issue that is very present within Western North Carolina which is um, migrant farmers and the Mm -hmm. abuse of migrant farmers. So, you know, another piece of this is the ways that people um, who grow the vast majority of our food um, are exposed to far more pesticides than they should be, or often not told that they're being exposed to pesticides or not provided with the kinds of 
equipment that they need to be safe around those chemicals. Um, that is absolutely an environmental justice issue that's happening all around us. And so I didn't want to leave that out. Mm -hmm. Sarah, you spoke to this a little and Anna, you spoke with putting your hands in the soil of feeling it. And Sarah, you putting your feet in a creek. Mm -hmm. um, I know as we've talked about all of this, there has been, you know, a heavy, heavy yeah. feeling, which is yeah. part of what doing this work in, entails. Mm -hmm. um, but in speaking of some ways that we can heal, even if we can't fix it, yeah. um, being outside, those listening in Western North Carolina, I mean, putting your feet in the creek, climbing up a mountain, planting some, you know, food in your garden. What are some different ways that that we can heal as we do this work, that we can manage that stress and anxiety of what accepting the reality of the state of our planet can do. Yeah. I mean, this is such an important piece. We can't leave out our hope, right? Mm -hmm. And the ways that we feel grounded and the ways that we find our joy. Um, so first I would say, First, I want to take a little bit of a step back and say, <laughs> and I'm sorry about that. No worries. Um, yeah, but I, I just want to say that, you know, we have focused on the limit. And I, I love that in some ways because I do think it's so uncommon. Mm -hmm. I think that we so rarely do that. And so it's wonderful to have a space to do that in a way that is healthy. Mm -hmm. And... I don't want any listener, um, any of those that are listening to this conversation to think that the only thing that they can do is to grieve and come to terms with the reality of what's happening to our world. I think mm -hmm. that's vital. That's a piece of this work. Um, but there is much that can be done to care for this world, much that can be done to heal ourselves and this world and our relationships to each other. Um, and I think just on that note, I want to speak to the importance of imagination mm -hmm. because I think that we've really done something beautiful, which is critique. We have, crit we've offered a lot of criticism to the system <laughs> and good, you know, that's part of what we're called to do is to say, that's not the way of God. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of love. And I think we've done that beautifully. And then the second piece is to imagine the way of love, the way of Jesus, the way of God, the way that offers compassion um, and and goodness to all of all of this world. Um, and so a, a book in my life that's very informative is The Prophetic Imagination by Walter Brueggemann, mm -hmm. um, in which he talks about the importance of critique, but also imagination, how so often all we know how to do is deconstruct and say, this is bad, but we don't know how to offer people an imagination of the good. And so I want to encourage everyone listening um, in that work of imagination and say that, you know, we can love each other well. We can continue to build a beautiful world. Um, and what, what we are called to in this moment of great transition, because the climate crisis is a moment of transition, you know, is to think about how, how we might do things better how we might shift and create a different kind of way of orienting our lives, how we might reimagine our relationships to land and to water and to our neighbors in a way that helps us build that beloved community, which would be a community that, you know, is living within the values of creation care, the values of God, the values of love. Um, so I, I just want to name that you know, there's so and I'll 
I am sure that we will get to a list of things that we can do um, <laughs> you know, to do that healing work. Um, but there are so many things that we can do um, to, to create the world that we dream about. And, mm-hmm. you know, don't lose sight of walking that path, um, though we stumble and we also have to acknowledge the stumbling and the, you know, the grief of falling on our path, the grief of that pain. Um, but back to your point, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about actions. Um, mm-hmm. how I, how I process, help me remember how <laughs> I, um, manage I, stress yeah. and anxiety, I and maybe stress. just how anybody could in yeah. light of all of this and, you know, living in this world, how can we handle it? Yeah. I think, you know, for me and I, I know this is true for others, you know, but we certainly all have our own orientation to this. But for me, a really central part of how I deal with the stress of of doing movement work um, as a person of faith is trying to ground myself, like literally ground myself. I think, you know, very often I can get caught in these kind of, you know, thought loops, you know, just um, really beautiful conversations, but they can lead me to to this, this place of, oh gosh, you know, what, what are we going to do? Or, you know, I just feel overwhelmed or, you know, whatever it might be. And so for me going outside and unplugging for, you know, really unplugging, being away from my phone, being away from my computer, um, going outside, I have a Creek in my yard. And so going and putting my feet in the Creek as is this physical, you know, this thing I can feel, that reminds me of the beauty of this world um, really does help me and being able to feel, you know, the water on my legs and just remember, you know, gosh, what a gift it is to be here coming back to the present moment and to this day. Um, I also do, we grow food on our property. We have a rather large garden. And so going outside and um, taking care of those plants, I am not as good naturally at that as my husband is. Um, (laughs) But I still like to be a part of it. I like to weed the garden, that kind of meditation of, of, you know, doing this action that that's repetitive, that's also productive, that you know, that you're doing something to help. And I think that that's, that in and of itself might be, you know, my answer to this question is, we can get caught kind of in the intangibles of this moment of, you know, the climate crisis and its bigness and its, mm-hmm. you know, intangibleness. It's just kind of ethereal state and not remember that the, what we do to care for our front yard or our backyard is a part of how we care for this world and ourselves. And so that little act of making a difference, it's a small difference, but it makes a world of difference to the nine billion microbes in that soil, right? Um, and to all of the creatures that inhabit that space and the habitat that you're creating and, and you know, your ability to breathe clean air and to offer something beautiful to your neighbors, it makes a difference. And so I think that's a part of it too, is to not undervalue the, the need for small actions, um, to not sell ourselves short um, in terms of what that, what difference that makes, you know, taking your, your bags to the grocery store, that's a small act that can help you remember that, you know, you're doing something and, and that feeling of doing something I think is helpful. Um, it's, and it's not just a feeling it, it does matter. You know, we need systemic change, but systemic change in so many ways grows, um, from the bottom up. It's, it's how mm-hmm. we, how we live our lives. And so we can find hope there. 
for those of you, um, well, you're all listening, so you can't see, but I cheered. <laughs> <laughs> I cheered when uh, Sarah mentioned weeding because we actually had established this at, uh, I think, one of the symposiums that we both enjoy mm-hmm. the act of, of weeding gardens. Um, and that is one of the things that I do as well. I wanted to add another thing that I've, I've found so important for me um, as someone who often gets stuck in my head. Well, A, mm-hmm. first thing is I'll get in a fetal position and cry because that's important. You got to cry. Mm-hmm. If you're capable of it, do it. It is hugely helpful. Um, and then the other things for me, and um, I'm going to plug Sarah and her husband a little bit here. Um, because I know that they make music, uh, very beautiful music, and I also play violin. Um, and so for me, playing music, um, making music, dancing to music, a lot of times I'll put music on, close my eyes, and just do very awkward movements. Whatever my body wants to do, that's what it does, to just get mm-hmm. all of this stuff out, mm-hmm. but also to really feel feel to pay attention to to become more attuned to what's happening in my body which which is what sarah was talking about the importance of grounding yourself of of getting inside your body yeah Um, that that is so important and then and then the other thing for me is i've i've found kind of anthems for myself these songs that i'll listen to when i really need to pump myself up Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so find, find those songs and maybe ask some of your friends, what are their songs and then make a playlist. And when you need to pump yourself up and maybe you can have two playlists, the one that pumps you up and the one that helps you to cry. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but that way, that way you're really getting into your body. Um, which, which I think is a really important part of, of the managing the stress Mm -hmm. and the anxiety. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I love that you brought up music. I think something I didn't name that I, I think is vital to our spirits um, and also to the effectiveness of, you know, movements for change um, is art. Art mm-hmm. is vital, yeah. you know, and we can engage in art in all kinds of ways. Yeah. You know, it's not just visual art, you know, creative writing, poetry, singing, dancing, um, you know, all kinds of, of things that, that give you joy. And I think that ability that the creative spirit is just so needed, you know, and for me, I like to draw because I'm not very good at it. And so it takes all the pressure away from creating something that other people will like. And it's just about me having this creative moment. It's fun and it gives me life and it reinvigorates me. Um, but I'm not good at it. And that's part of the point is it's just about, it's just about creating, um, you know, and I think that this has been true when we think about what we can offer, mm-hmm. how we can offer our gifts to, you know, work for creation care, work for loving our neighbor. We can offer our art. Um, someone who's done that beautifully is Judith Glickson, who is a cello player um, who offered really incredible concerts around climate change. She um, wrote music that offered a an audio kind of telling of our climate story. Um, is very powerful. And she gave that concert in congregations and community centers around the country and the state. Um, 
as a way of spreading the word about what's happening in our world and also engaging people's hearts because mm-hmm. we know that facts aren't what move us oftentimes. It's stories and the things that get our emotions that, that remind us that, oh, right, I'm a human and I, I have feelings. That's what moves us. That's what you know moves us to change. Um, and so Judith's, Judith's works is, is a great example of that. And also, you know, there's great painters that have created, you know, various ways for us to engage in these issues. So I, I encourage all people um, to tap into whatever their art might be as well as a part of how they respond to this moment. Well, with that in mind, with art and creating and being together, kind of sharing some of these feelings mm-hmm. as well. Um, we wanted to think about short-term and long-term, the, dias- the Diocese of Western North Carolina and Creation Care. How might the Diocese of Western North Carolina assist and kind of participate in the work that you are doing, mm-hmm. both on a grander scheme, but also, you know, in specific events that you are, that you are putting on or, you know, sharing what you do, but also on a on a smaller scale, just yeah. in sharing stories and joy mm-hmm. and creating. Um, what are some of those ways? Yeah, I'm excited you asked, Virginia, <laughs> um, because I think there's lots of ways that we can work together. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the clearest um, and maybe simplest ways that I think the diocese can can work with Creation Care Alliance is to help us connect with congregations in Western North Carolina. You know, we are a network um, that is really here to support local faith communities in this work of creation care. Um, so often, so often when I've worked with people in their congregations, there's one or two people on a green team mm-hmm. and they feel kind of disheartened or, you know, kind <laughs> of, oh, you know, I'm I myself and I, you know, no one else at my congregation cares about this. That's a story that I've heard time and time again, or, well, some people, you know, but really we're more interested in this other issue and having a community of people who can join you, you know, regionally and say, yeah, this is our issue too. It doesn't just have to be having, you know, we hope that we can help congregations build robust green teams, mm-hmm. but also we can collaborate. We, we can cooperate with each other. You know, we can work across congregations, bring each other together in our towns and our cities um, and in our regions to support each other um, and, and offer a ro- more robust community uh, doing this work. So I think that, you know, we have something to offer in that respect in terms of just just making sure people know they're not alone mm-hmm. and sharing stories of success, sharing what's working and what hasn't. Um, and, you know, people can really benefit from not having to reinvent the creation care wheel at their local level. You know, we can we can tell you what's worked and what hasn't and also offer some suggestions. Um, so I think one of the clearest ways is just connecting us with people and making sure people know that we're here. You know, we're here as a resource, as a community. Um, And in addition to congregations um, in our various regions, we serve Western North Carolina, you know, including the far West, um, the high country, Hendersonville area, the Southern Mm -hmm. part of our region, um, of our Western North Carolina region, and also the central part of our region, Asheville. Um, We serve all those spaces. And so there's also, there's congregations that can, be in partnership with you. And then I am also really excited to get to know you um, and your congregational network. I um, One of the services that I offer is preaching. So if you're not feeling like you want to preach the sermon, but you'd like someone to talk about it, 
I'd love to be that person. I'd also love to talk to you about ways that you might preach this, you know, have a conversation. I think it's always helpful to me when I have a preaching task is to have an ear um, to, to kind of talk about my ideas with. Um, I also offer presentations. Um, and so I think we have, you know, various resources we can offer. I'd love to be in conversation about that. But I also think, you know, there are these other ways that we can partner and collaborate um, one of the things that people can participate in is certainly coming to our events. Mm-hmm. And so we currently offer regional gatherings every month. Sometimes those are on Zoom. We're going to be having our first in-person regional gathering um, this month on August 19th. It's going to be in Waynesville at First United Methodist Church. Um, and it'll also be a hybrid event. So you can also join us on Zoom if you're not near Waynesville. Um, but we're going to be sharing some stories in the work, talking about who we are and why we do this, getting to know each other. Um, you're certainly invited to that. That would be a beautiful thing to, to get to know you a little bit better and hear your story so that we can begin to do this work together. Um, we also have various resources that can be useful. Um, our creation care guide, guide for creation care. It's a toolkit that's on our website. That's a good place to start if you're considering, you know, I'm interested in creation care, but I don't know what that would mean in my community. Mm-hmm. You can go to that toolkit um, and you will see all these different things that you can do. <laughs> um, and you don't have to do all of them, but you can think about, you know, what are, where are our gifts as a congregation? What are we being called to? Where do we have resources? And, and how does that fit with the need in this time? And, and at the intersection of those questions, you'll find, you know, maybe your first steps, your first um, ways to engage that's another thing I would love to help help you guys consider, you know, is how you engage in those ways. Mm-hmm. We also offer book studies. You could join us for a book study. We're going to be having a book study this fall. We haven't decided our text yet. So that's just a fun mystery for all those <laughs> listening. You can just, you know, stay tuned and sign up for our newsletter and you'll find out about it. You can, um, you can be engaged with that. Um, we also really, to Anna's point about the importance of, getting our hands dirty or our feet wet. Um, Being outside is a way that, you know, again, I I told my story about why I do this work. And it started because of the connection I felt to God outside in these mountains. Mm -hmm. And so getting outside and remembering the beauty of this world, the sacredness of this world, connecting to the sacred is important. And so we will organize um, some hikes this fall and some opportunities to get outside and be together. and and center ourselves. And we'd love to have people join us for that as well. Um, In terms of larger collaboration, I think that this is a part of that long-term piece, Mm -hmm. right? We talked about short-term and long-term. I think long-term, there are a lot of really exciting ways um, that denominations are thinking about how they use their land. Churches Mm -hmm. are, own a lot of land, um, especially in rural spaces. And so, Thinking about how we creatively, compassionately, and justly manage that space, I think is you know a vital part um, of the creation care con- conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, this can look like a lot of different things. It can look like partnering with local farmers to offer land um, to someone who's who's growing food in a sustainable and a regenerative way, but who can't afford land. Um, that's a beautiful partnership that can be created. Um, offering land to disenfranchised farmers of color. That's a beautiful partnership and a way to engage in justice work. Um, I have some really wonderful colleagues at Rothy 
the Rural Advancement Foundation International who are doing that work. They've created a pilot project um, in the triangle connecting farmers of color with congregations through CSA programs. And that mm-hmm. pilot project is coming to the West. Um, not quite yet, but it's on its way. Oh, so Anna, um, stay tuned for that. Yeah, <laughs> stay tuned. So that's a beautiful, um, you know, collaboration that might not be long term. It's happening soon. If that feels like the way that your congregation wants to engage in this work, you know, please let us know, um, and we'd love to connect you with those folks. But mm-hmm. you know, I think there's other ways that we can engage with our land and and care for our land in a way that that makes a significant difference is through permaculture tactics, you know, water um, conservation tactics, um, reforesting land. Yeah. That's a way that, you know, creating a carbon sink. So for those that maybe aren't familiar with that terminology, um, forests take in a lot of carbon because breathe, trees breathe carbon and breathe out oxygen. So the more forests we have, um, the, the more carbon that's being absorbed into the soil um, and out of our atmosphere. And yeah, that's a, that's a climate mitigation strategy as well as a way of creating habitat for all of the creatures that God loves. Um, and so Mm -hmm. I, I think there's so many cool things, particularly around land, um, that are those big visions, you know, big opportunities, um, for people of faith to engage in creative ways. Um, and there's all kinds of other things too, but I'll, I'll leave it there. (laughs) Well, and I think I think the important thing to to note also is that, um, you know, these the 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 beauty of the Creation Care Alliance to me, at least as mm-hmm. as someone who is now on the steering committee, is is the ways in which the Creation Care Alliance doesn't just focus on one aspect of creation mm-hmm. care, but looks at all of these different ways that we can be thinking creatively and imaginatively around all sorts of issues. So yeah. if your passion is around public policy, mm-hmm. there's an avenue for that. If Absolutely. your passion is around water quality, there's an avenue for that. It it, it looks at weatherization. It looks at building protocols. It looks mm-hmm. at, you know, solar panels, uh, growing a garden. It also looks at spiritual practices. So yeah. Any any way in which you would like to engage with this work, there is a way in which Creation Care Alliance addresses it. And if they don't, you can talk to them about it and they will come up with things <laughs> or you yeah. can give them the ideas and they have resources to help you make it a reality. Yeah, I, I want to underscore that, you know, there are all of the ways that we do this work matter and the way that you are called to is, you know, the, the way that you should engage And so we've talked a lot about um, the climate crisis on this call. If that's not what your congregation is ready to talk about, that's not what you're ready to talk about. You know, talking about conservation, talking about recycling. I mean, plastics are are very invasive. (laughs) They're everywhere. Um, That's something that we can talk about. There there are different levels and different different ways that we can do this work together. So Mm -hmm. I want to encourage... Everyone who, you know, if, if you're not comfortable with certain terminology, I think we can do this work. We can still do this work together. We can talk about it. We can we can find um, ways to engage. And I think I think that's where the faith aspect can really yeah. come in, because for me, you know, right now we're talking in the context of a Christian language because that's 
who we're addressing. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so for me, I think in terms of the body of Christ and the fact that we are members of the body of Christ and, and the way that we make this happen is with each of us. And not everyone is going to be drawn to the same aspect yeah. of, of this issue. And as, as we've noted throughout this conversation, it intersects with a lot of different issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there are so many different avenues that you can take to still be doing this Absolutely. kind of, of work. Um, and, and I think it's, it's very important to remember that I'm, I'm thinking of one particular thing, you know, I, I learned this, I think from Daryl Harris, um, and he was talking about, um, we are the salt of the earth and salt is a preservative. And so mm -hmm. if we think of ourselves as, as the salt of the earth, what are the ways that we're preserving and caring for, uh, conserving, thinking about taking care of the earth mm -hmm. that comes out of our scripture, right? Yeah. So there, there are ways we can talk about this, um, that, that is very faith oriented. And mm -hmm. so. Uh, my hope and my joy is in the fact that it cannot be done in isolation. Absolutely. Um, and so uh, my gratitude is that we have this incredible resource right here yeah. in Western North Carolina with Creation Care Alliance. And, and I'm excited for the work that y'all are doing and the work that we can do together. Absolutely. Okay. I, I, I also find hope in the way that we don't do this work. Um, in isolation in the way that we do this work together. Um, and I think, you know, to your point of, of how this issue corresponds with so many other issues, so many of our congregations and, you know, we, we should care deeply about hunger alleviation, um, and ending hunger and feeding people who need to be fed people who are hungry. That's a creation care issue. Like you said, Anna, you know, that's, that's about how we grow our food. That's about how we distribute our food. That that's in relationship to land. Um, and so many of our ministries are like that. Um, so, I, so I think too, you know, we can find when you begin to ask questions of how do I engage in creation care, it's very likely that you already are deeply engaged in creation care. Mm -hmm. Um, and so acknowledging that and then, you know, going from there, I think is a great place to start. I love that. And I love being a part of this work in community and with y'all yeah. and this conversation that we've been able to have, you know, together, um, is a big part of that and just being able to reflect and share. And so I wanted to say thank you to both of you so much for coming on and sharing your stories. Sarah, we are so thrilled <laughs> that you are here and we're so excited to get to know you further. Um, and we're just so grateful for your time and Anna, we love you. <laughs> We're so grateful for you as well. And thank you both for the continued work that you do and your strength and leadership in this field of creation care, but also in the ways that it intersects with all kinds of social justice. So we are grateful for you. And well, thank, thank you for you. being here. I'm grateful for you all as well. And please do reach out. I would love to have a conversation with you. Love to think about how we can do this work together and how we can support you. Thanks, Sarah. And thanks, Virginia. <laughs> Thank y'all so much. This has been Mission Joy.